Welcome to Facing Mental Illness, the podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Seidman. And this is your co-host and producer, Laura Randall. We are delighted that you're joining us today to hear another personal story of someone with lived mental health experience. Some of the stories that you'll hear here do contain material that could be upsetting or uncomfortable to some listeners. We want to encourage you to exercise good judgment and self-care when you tune into our podcast and maybe even have someone that you could listen to it with and dissect the material afterward. Today, our guest is Tim Bisson. He is a person with firsthand experience with mental health recovery and is also in recovery from addiction. He's a certified recovery peer specialist and the founder of the nonprofit organization, Sunshine Peer Network. He has received training in trauma-informed care, wraparound, motivational interviewing, and is a RAP facilitator. He's also very involved with the recovery community in Sarasota, Florida, where he lives and was influential in restarting a dual recovery support group within the community. Tim is a former board member and leadership program alumnus of the Peer Support Coalition of Florida. And he is also a 2021 graduate of the Adult Leadership Program of the Sarasota Chamber of Commerce. So, Tim, welcome to Facing Mental Illness. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. I always start by asking uh, our guests to just let our listeners know a little bit about them and where they come from. So maybe you can talk to us a little bit about your younger years and maybe when you first uh, started having any kind of mental health challenges. First off, I was I was born premature, uh, three months premature, and I have a twin brother. That was the first scenario where I believe the uh, connection was not necessarily there right off birth. You know, we were miracle babies and we were in the intensive care unit for three months. You know, I believe I'm still a miracle today and uh, able to help other people. And so starting off right off the bat, I'm sure it was an interesting situation. Did they determine early on that you had any repercussions from the premature birth or obviously evident right away? My my parents are um, supportive. You know, they came and visited us in the NICU for every day while we were there. So it was a supportive environment from the beginning. No repercussions from what I can tell. There is mental health conditions uh, in my family, uh, not necessarily my parents, some with my grandparents and uncles and things like that, too. My childhood was good, very lively, three boys uh, running around, pretty rambunctious, wild kids. I remember having an uh, a big imagination and um, running around playing sports, doing wild things. Um, it was an interesting time. Uh, my mother took videos of us when we were kids. And, and so we have some of it recorded and we get to, sometimes I get to watch those videos of when I was a kid and, and I could tell how kind of wild it was at the house with three boys running around and things like that. So in school growing up, 
I had a kind of a tough time with concentrating and things like that. And when I was 13, my parents had divorced. I started going to therapy for the first time. So that's kind of when it was onset a little bit uh, with my mental health things. Did you have uh, difficulty academically in school or was it more a matter of attention deficit kind of thing? It wasn't an attention deficit. I um, just had to work harder at things than other people did. And sometimes I compared myself to my brother and things like that, where it seemed a little bit easier for him. I didn't have difficulty. I just had to work a little bit harder at at school and things like that. So I started going to therapy and um, I'm not sure if it was an actual diagnosis, but it was a communication deficit at that time. You know, throughout high school, I've always been a social creature. I would socialize with a lot of people. Uh, I played sports growing up and I played baseball and football and did wrestling and I was pretty popular and didn't really necessarily feel like I fit in with the football player crowd or things like that. But I I kind of fit in with everybody, but felt like I didn't fit in with anybody really. But I did have a group of friends I would hang out with and socialize with. And, um, you know, that support really helped me through high school. I was involved with this program called Upbeat, and it was like to keep high schoolers involved in the community doing community like cleaning up the streets and doing events and things like that Um, kind of a good citizen you know uh, helping out people and keeping kids off drugs and things like that so that was a good time in high school too I got into my first choice of, of college I went to University of New Haven in Connecticut and that was an interesting time I was 18 years old and I started experimenting with drugs and alcohol. At first, I feel like I wanted to fit in because all my friends that I had made at college were drinking and and smoking and things like that. And I wanted to be with them while they were out at the club or whatever it be. And then I actually started having some more severe mental health symptoms at the age of 18. You said you started experiencing some more mental health issues. Can you tell us a little bit about what that looked like? What what actually was going on? Yeah, so I started having some schizophrenia symptoms. I started seeing things, hearing things that necessarily weren't there. Some of it was spiritual in nature. It was scary. I ended up having some traumatic things happen during during that college time. Um, my grandparents, who were very supportive in raising me, had passed away that year. I had a situation with a girlfriend that wasn't going uh, very positively, and it kind of exacerbated my mental health symptoms. Eventually, I attempted suicide and left the left the school during this period when you were really struggling and you were experiencing these what have to be very terrifying symptoms um, <laughs> were you in therapy then was were you talking to anybody about what was happening 
I was talking to a school counselor, but it was a very confusing time for me, and I didn't really remember much of what was going on during that time. It was very traumatic. I'm sure mm-hmm. that your um, suicide attempt must have terrified your parents. Did they step in at that? I mean, obviously, you went back home, so mm-hmm. they were supportive in that way. But yeah. Did they recognize that maybe you needed some some more significant help? My parents were very supportive, and I started seeing a psychiatrist, started going to therapy when I got back, and learning more about myself. It, it was the education of myself. So I think like self-advocacy and the education was important. I started learning more about myself, what was going on with my mental health. I started going through periods of time where I would get confused or lost a little bit. And I had an episode and had gone to a psych ward. That was 2009. So how how was your experience and were you put on medication at that time? It was uh, an interesting experience. I enjoyed the groups that we did at the mental health facility. I got to talk to people who were like me. I got to relate to people and listen in the groups and the group therapy and things like that, which were very helpful. And I got to meet a doctor who was very helpful for me. I started taking mental health medication and After I had gotten out, I started seeing him regularly and started going to therapy groups and outpatient setting. I I thrived. I I, um, enjoyed being with people who lived with things like I did and relating to those people and talking to people and being honest and open about what was going on in my life. I shared things that I eventually felt comfortable with sharing. And that's where I kind of felt more comfortable going to these groups. How did the groups help you in a way that that medication or individual counseling didn't? Because so many people have have talked about the importance of that peer support. And obviously you went on to make this Mm -hmm. a part of your life. So um, Mm -hmm. tell me about why you think that group experience is so important. I just think empathy and just being there with each other um, has been a huge thing in my life to be able to help other people has helped me so much as well. Just sitting shoulder to shoulder with people who can truly relate to what I'm going through. If they can't relate to the same scenarios or things like that, they can relate to the feelings. I think that's really important in my life. I started going back to school, trying different things. I eventually started going to massage therapy school and became a licensed massage therapist in Connecticut. My addiction had exacerbated. Like I had said in college, I was smoking and and drinking, but it had gotten worse and worse. And um, I did... Uh, other things like cocaine, ecstasy, and um, things like that. Did you realize yourself that it was escalating kind of out of control? Yeah, I couldn't stop. I didn't have the defense against the first 
one, the first usage. I didn't really have that defense. So I after that, I started going to a wellness center for mental health and recovery. That was a, a great time in my life. I started hanging out with people who live with mental health conditions and things like that. Like myself, I had a mentor there named Vicky, and she was a peer specialist. And I didn't even know she was a peer specialist at the time. I'd, I would just talk to her, read little passages and books and things like that. And she was a mentor of mine, and she would take us to meetings and things like that. And, and it, it was, and we would do groups and all that stuff. And, and it was just a, a good time to socialize, be around people who supported me, and just be with my people. This was an outpatient facility? Um, yeah, it was a, a wellness center, out, outpatient facility, um, and that support from the peer specialist was there, and there was a clinician there who really helped me out a lot, and also there was a group of people who brought in singing bowls like crystal bowls um and things like that and they were really supportive and so i started working on a warm line i warm line is like a, a, a where you call and talk to someone who has lived experience who can kind of guide you through a conversation but also just lend a listening ear and just be there as support for someone who might be having a tough time or something like that but it's not a crisis line if i was interested in becoming a peer specialist i had bumped into somebody while i was at that center she was an older lady and i had bumped into her and and I said, oh, I'm just a patient here. And she said, you're not a patient, you're a person. And that happened to be Dr. K. And um, she was one of my trainers to become a peer specialist in Connecticut. And that was really helpful because I, I saw myself as a patient because I was going to therapy, I was going to the wellness center, and I was going to uh, psychiatry at the time and working on medication balances and things like that. It really opened my eyes to see that I am who I am. I am a person, and I do have ability to help other people. I think that mm -hmm. happens so often that because for many people with the onset of a mental illness, and the, the, everything that you go through to deal with it in terms of, you know, trying to get medication right and trying to, you know, adjust your life to accommodate your illness, it, it does, it becomes your identity. And I, I think that's, it's great that someone reminded you that you are more than your diagnosis. Yeah, and that was a great time. And I, after I became a peer specialist, I, you know, was working on the warm line. And I struggled again. I went through another difficult time. Is there particular things that catalyze your, you know, when you go into a period like that? Are, are there triggers or is it just kind of random? I learn more about that every day. There are some things that trigger it, but I think the usage didn't help at the time. And then the the stressful situations and things like that, or reminders of traumatic things. I'm learning more about that every day. 
I always learn, educate myself on like what makes me think a certain way, what triggers a certain thing or uh, things like that. I struggled again with my addiction and, and my mental health and um, really went through it. I lost a, a friend to the disease of addiction and uh, it just kind of went downhill. I um, was moving from place to place, staying on people's couches and things like that. And eventually I ended up living in my car and I was going through the perils of my disease. And I had a um, moment of clarity. It was negative nine degree wind chill. Um, and uh, living. And you in were living car. in your car? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I remember times where I would go to warming centers and things like that, but I was just going through a difficult time living in my car in the winter of Connecticut. I had a moment of clarity. I don't know how else to put it, but um, I recognized that I had had enough. I had been to some addiction treatment centers before and been to some 12-step meetings. This was the awakening moment. I kind of recognized that I, I recognized that I couldn't keep going on the way I was going. If I was, I, I would die. I knew I would if I kept going the way I was going. And I did what I knew best. I called my mom, who's been a great support of mine. Um, and I said, I, I need to get out of Connecticut. I, I need help. Um, and I called dual recovery rehabs and went to a rehab in Florida. I started hearing what people were saying in there. I I listened to the people who brought in the groups and things like that. I started helping other people. I, I led a, a group while I was in there, recovery group. I, I had told them that I had helped other people before and was willing to help. And I led a group while I was in the program. And that was really awesome. And just getting to know people and things like that. Um, After that, I came to Sarasota. I had an interesting time. I met with a psychiatrist who really helped get a balance of medication, which worked for me. Um, And um, it, it has taken a while, but it's a balance of medication, which I think has really been beneficial. And we've been working together for, oh, coming up on six years. I had mentors and support of people in 12-step meetings that was really important for me. Older people, older men and mentors, and um, I got involved with young people and things like that too. So I had both hands covered, one hand with the mentors, one hand with the people my age and things like that, which was really helpful for me in my recovery. So growing and learning and one day at a time, those things have been really helpful and they still are. When did your, when did your idea to start the, um, the Sunshine Network began? Tell us a little bit about your advocacy work. I had always had a history of going to therapy groups and going to mental health centers and things like that. So I 
went to a mental health center as a member and then started volunteering there for about a, a week or two. And then I showed them how I could lead groups and things like that because I I like wrote things down and showed what groups I could lead and how I could do it and the different things that I've learned throughout my history of therapy groups and and warm line work and things like that and they gave me a job you know the next day after I had written all that stuff down and done the research and things like that um so I started a progression there at the mental health center was that job as a peer specialist yeah so I got certified in Florida as a recovery peer specialist and then I um, moved to kind of work my way up to the director of peer services there, um, which was really awesome and, and learning to like learning trainings and things like that, educating myself. I always like learning more things and I would continuously educate myself and I still do today. Just being able to have that lived experience and then be able to support other people has been a blessing of mine. It was definitely a blessing to be able to like believe that I had some purpose, you know, and a, a career built about this. And there were people who believed in me, you know, the um, executive director and, and people like truly believed that I had a gift to be able to share with the world. And, and I believe that too. And I still believe that. So Sunshine Peer Network, getting back to your original question, um, started out as learning about peer networks in the area at, um, at a conference or noticed that there was no peer network in Sarasota or the surrounding areas. Um, and then spoke to the executive director of the people who oversee the peer networks and then and started a started a sunshine peer network from there uh what did you know about starting a nonprofit? i mean did you that must have been a steep learning curve i learned you know nonprofit management and things like that throughout my experience with the with the wellness center in Connecticut and experience with the warm line and all my experience throughout the my professional career at uh, community centers and all that stuff um, to learn how to how they operate and things like that. So it, it started out from there and it was the pandemic at the time started out doing zoom meetings and things like that where um, what was your what was your vision for the sunshine peer network what was your what what is your mission what do you hope you accomplish through the network the mission is like a safe and respectful community where peer, peers can share their experience um to help the people that they serve and help other people um the tagline is hope inspire recover together and um, I think uh, embodying, being able to share our experiences with people and learn in the professional community, but also just share that lived experience to support and advocate for mental health, addiction, recovery, and things like that. So that, that's the idea, just a community of support and advocacy for recovery. Tell us 
where that motivation comes from. I mean, I know, for example, that you went through the leadership program through the Chamber of Commerce. So obviously you're not willing to just sort of stay at one level. You want to keep progressing. I I believe there is a purpose for my life and it's not me. It's to be of maximum service to the power greater than myself that got me to this point and also to other people so that higher power comes first then other people then me and so just being able to be there for other people and yeah the the leadership program and all these things were someone believed in me and through that i believed in me and i have a passion a passion and a perseverance to just be able to be of support of the community, be a voice in the community and be able to help other people. And I think that this is, this podcast alone is one of the ways that I can do that. You know, Um, I think people see disabilities as a disability. I think it's really an ability to to learn and grow and make the world a better place. Gandhi, I believe it was said, be the change you want to see in the world. And I I think that's something that kind of drives me to be what I needed when I was going through a difficult time. The Sunshine Peer Network has been an eye-opening experience. It's been challenging at times. It's been uh, trying, but it's also been such a gift. We do these community events, which <laughs> are are such a blessing where anybody can come to the event and and have some food and and have uh, listen to music uh, and listen to some a panel of guest uh, speakers and things like that and uh, who talk about their experience and just kind of be part of the community and involved and it brings awareness to the mental health and recovery addiction and and all those things and those have been really eye-opening experiences and just being able to put those things together has, has been really helpful that element of community is so important in someone's recovery you know you can do all the right things you can get on the right meds and you can go to therapy once a week and but if you still feel isolated it's very hard to thrive everybody needs a community right yeah i think connection is the opposite of isolation and the secrecy and things like that about the stigma and all that stuff. I I think just general connection, not only with one other person or things like that, but with the community in general and support is huge. I mean, I get support in many different ways from my family, my friends in recovery, my mentors in recovery and my therapist and my peer specialist and just the community in general. So I have these great supports and things that help me on a daily basis. And I think that that connection is there to help me to like keep the light on for other people and then keep the light on in me and then, you know, be able to 
continue that great work in the community. Uh, Tell me about a little bit about your life today. Are, are you, um, <laughs> you know, are you happy in a happy place? Are you in a healthy place? Yeah. Recovery is my whole life, whether it be mental health or addiction recovery. Um, I have a lot of friends in recovery. We do things like I'm involved in the young people recovery circles and things like that, where we travel all over the state. And some people travel all over the country or the world uh, to go to different events and things like that, which are very awesome. I play pickleball. I just played pickleball last night (laughs) with my Mm -hmm. friends. Um, I enjoy playing pickleball. I'm on a recovery softball team, which has been really awesome. Just uh, being with people I support and people who support me has been really helpful. And I, I take medication, which has been pretty balanced. I still see that psychiatrist that I first met with when I moved to Sarasota. Those supports, I, I go to 12-step meetings and things like that, work on the Sunshine Peer Network, just all, all continuous, just working on positive things in my life. How can I better myself to enable myself to help other people? You've been involved in or in touch with the mental health support world for for quite a while now um ha- have you felt over the you know over the 10 years or so that you've been involved that things are improving in terms of our support of people who are in recovery that's a good question i think there's always room for growth i think it's improving definitely the there is ways that people who have the lived experience with mental health conditions or things like that can be a larger voice. I think it's improving, but there's still a long way to go. I've heard other peer specialists say that the peer support movement is, is wonderful and necessary, but that it is the, there's kind of a glass ceiling. In other words, okay, you're a peer specialist, you can lead groups, you can facilitate meetings and so forth. But that the medical world and the the traditional models of, of support for people with mental health conditions aren't really willing to let the people with lived experience move into a more integral role. Do you know what I mean? I think... Um... Sunshine Peer Network is a 100% peer-led organization. Um, And I think that that's part of what we're doing here. It's like, there is no glass ceiling on Sunshine Peer Network specifically. You know, we believe in peers. We believe in people with lived experience. um, And we believe that we can help the community and there is support to be had with psychiatry. I believe in that wholeheartedly because I seek it myself. Um, and finding that balance for me has been important. Um, and I truly enjoy my therapist. I love my therapist and it's a great uh, relationship. I've heard of a glass ceiling before. I think 
as time goes on, I think that hopefully there'd be no glass ceiling, that we'd work in tandem together um, and and just be together with each other supporting people. I, I just hope for that someday. And that's part of what, you know, Sunshine Peer Network's about and part of what we're trying to do in the community, I guess. That's a great answer. I love the, you know, working in tandem because you're right. All of those elements are important and they need to learn how to, how to all work together. I, I love to hear how um, optimistic you are that if people just have the support they need, they can, they can build lives of, of purpose and connection and community. The next right thing, just whatever that next right thing is to do, just do the next right thing. I'm just grateful that you asked me to to be here today. Well, I thank you so much. Do the next right thing is going to be my new motto. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you so much, Tim, for coming on the podcast today. And we wish you and the Sunshine Peer Network the best of luck in the future. Thank you so much. Carrie, I think the most interesting statement that Tim made was when he talked about how he benefited from his time in mental health facilities, that it was an opportunity for him to spend time with people who had the same struggles as he did. And I have, in all of the interviews that you've conducted and in my personal experience, I've not heard someone say that directly. Was that a novel statement for you as well? Tim was hospitalized up north. And I have to say, we here in Florida do not enjoy the same kind of residential treatment that is available in the Northeast. And I think it was beneficial for him to be in the in the um, psychiatric hospital for a while because there are a lot of groups and a lot of follow-up services and that type of thing that we really have in, in that really don't exist here in Florida. But certainly what is true and what I've heard many times is how important it is for someone who's in recovery to find a community of people that many of whom have gone through similar or the same experiences and who you can feel accepted by and not judged by. I know how important that was for my son when he was in his recovery. I know that is the whole thrust behind the the peer support movement and having peers counsel others who are in an earlier stage of their recovery. Because, yeah, I mean, I just think it's it's so important to feel like you're not going through it alone. And we have talked in the past, Carrie, about isolation being one of the biggest issues with mental health, that people who are having mental health episodes or crisis feel isolated and alone. And I think we've also chatted about the fact that the pandemic sort of exacerbated that. But I agree, it it does tie into the peer movement. And I was glad that Tim was able to see that sort of glass half full side of treatment. 
he's taken it another step beyond by creating um, peer network um, to actually not only bring together a community of people, but bring together different communities of, of <laughs> people into one so that, you know, it's an even bigger network. So, you know, kudos to him for <laughs> that's a big job to start something exactly. like that. Carrie. So thank you for continuing to, uh, to herald the facing mental illness uh, campaign. And again, if there is anyone out there who would like to share their story with us, Carrie is a great interviewer and uh, I love listening to her stories as do the rest of our listeners. So Carrie, thanks again. I hope you have a great week and I look forward to our next podcast. Thanks for all your work on the podcast, Laura. And thanks to all of our listeners. Please feel free to give us feedback at any time. We'd love to hear from you.